Welcome to the uh, podcast from financialadvisor.com. On today's podcast, we're delighted to have Layla Shaver. Layla is president of MyRA Lawyer and a resource partner of financialadvisor.com. Well, welcome to the show, Layla. Thank you so much for having me. Well, listen, uh, first question, please let us know what is RIA Lawyer and what does it do? I would be delighted to talk about it. So my RA lawyer is a law firm and it focuses on the RA space. Um, we've really created a business that serves the RIA through the business cycle, meaning we will create your entity, we'll register at the state and federal level, we'll provide ongoing compliance consulting services. Uh, we offer regulatory defense and arbitration services as well as M&A and succession planning. So really taking you from start to finish in your business. Uh, we also offer private fund services, so drafting PPM subscription documents, providing fund compliance. We offer reg tech, fintech, wealth tech startup services. Um, and we also offer outsourced C-suite services. So outsource CFO, which is chief financial officer, COO, chief operating officer, CCO, chief compliance officer, and general counsel. So really making sure that no matter where you are in your business, no matter how small or big your business is, we have a service that you can provide. And as you grow, you can onboard additional services with you. I don't know any co company owner that wants to manage a bunch of different vendors. So to the extent that you can consolidate a lot of your needs within one firm, that firm being us, then that's kind of what we are hoping to help business owners accomplish. That's perfect. So you're kind of like a one-stop shop. And when it comes to yeah. legal, the, the, the legalities of becoming or actually not only only becoming an RIA, but once you become an RIA, continue to be our, an RIA and stay on the right side of the law, if you will, with regards to the many, many regulations that are affiliated with being an RIA in, this, in, in today's environment. Um, second question is, could you tell me a little bit about your background, Layla, and how did you decide to get into this field of work? <laughs> oh, well, like many good things in life, it was all an accident. Um, so, you know, I, I started off in the financial services industry um, back in 2010. Uh, you know, economy not doing very well, not too many jobs out there. I was lucky enough to know someone that was in-house for a brokerage firm that had an open position. Um, so I applied and got in and um, became in-house counsel for a national brokerage firm with over 500 registered reps. I was one of three in-house counsel. And that's really how I got my start. Um, you know, it wasn't ever an area of law that I had considered practicing in. Um, it's, it's um, you know, it's not as sexy as, say, criminal law or, you know, going in and doing litigation um, but it was it was fascinating. And the firm I worked for was a little bit of a, a Wolf of Wall Street type firm. <laughs> so my first day on the job was uh, to go hire a handwriting expert and see if an advisor had forged documents on <laughs> medallion stamped oil and gas sub docs. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, it was it was. For me, it was great. As a new attorney, I got great experience, um, you know, handling over 100 arbitrations on my own. As a new attorney, I learned a lot. Um, 
but you know that that company en ended up being acquired and wound down so um you know i just kind of followed where where the world would take me so again accidental um but ended up doing a bunch of consulting work for various funds out of california bdc interval hedge funds ended up with a company that specialized in conservation easement funds in atlanta um, and then ultimately ended up in a boutique hedge fund law firm running their regulatory compliance practice. You know, then life kind of caught up with me again, um, as it so often does. Got married, had a child. I was living in Atlanta. I was commuting quite a bit and it just wasn't working out for life or my my young son. Um, so I decided to start a business. And that's that was the start of of my RA lawyer. Um, and my desire was really to create a law firm that specialized in the RIA space that helped advisors navigate the legal complexities of the RIA world um, and really just kind of uh, be a space where, you know, this isn't a law firm that does criminal law and family law and estate planning. This is all we focus on. Um, and it's been it's been a great almost four years. That sounds good. Much like RIAs or uh, investment advisors themselves, they've always been told to get yourself a niche. And what you're what you're mm -hmm. telling me is the fact that this is your niche is compliance issue as it relates to RIA. So that's that's uh, uh, very much in line with how well, the industry or actually uh, businesses are going these days. Everything, needs to have a niche. Generalists are not too popular. And I don't see a foreseeable future that they will become popular again. It's just that when you have a niche, and knowing the fact that if you have a person who's an expert in that niche, then that makes for an, for, for an easy transition for that person to help you out with what you need. Um, next question, Leila, how, when so we talked about compliance, um, how important is having a sound compliance program for the independent RIA? It is incredibly important. Um, and I say that because whether you are registered at the state level or with the SEC, you are going to be subject to routine examinations by your regulator. And the whole point of the regulator's job is to ensure that you're running your job compliantly and in accordance with you know, state and or federal law and rules. So the compliance program's incredibly important, but it's one of these parts of the business that a lot of uh, firm owners you know, kind of cut the budget on, don't have properly staffed don't pay enough attention to. Uh, so for your startups, your bootstrappers that are just getting started, they're wearing all the hats. It's just not an area of focus. They wanna focus on the revenue generating uh, work that they can do to get that money into the, into the business. As you start growing, you start offloading these hats and you're trying to um, either hire in-house or outsource some of these roles. Um, so it's really important uh, because this is what's going to potentially make or break your business. You want to do a good job of maintaining at least the basics, at least the minimum standard of your compliance program. The compliance program tests everything. It reviews everything. It updates everything. It touches on trading. It touches on operations. It touches on supervision. Um, so you want to make sure your compliance program is strong and you have a knowledgeable and skilled compliance person running it and testing it. Because um, the last thing you want, no matter what size firm you are, 
is a fine from a regulator. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get a suspension. You don't want something that's a disclosable event on your U4 that's going to sit there forever unless you can get it expunged, which is another expensive and time-consuming process. And all you have to do is just pay a little attention to your compliance program. So it's incredibly important um, and often overlooked. Um, and a lot of firms, I mean, I know multi-billion dollar firms that don't do a great job with compliance. It's it's an oft overlooked area of the business. Very good. Yeah, this it's probably especially true of the multi-billion dollar firms because they I think a lot of them some 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 of them think they're uh, somewhat uh, accepted from the rules because of their their largesse and how big they are, and the compliance is only meant for smaller companies. And uh, just the fact that they have their own SRO, supposedly SRO in-house, then that would uh, not avail them to being, uh, you know, under the compliance uh, gun. So um, that's good to know. Uh, the next question I want to ask you is, uh, let's, let's discuss the uh, Securities Exchange Commission has had quite a year, like we all have. Mm -hmm. But we'd like to discuss the SEC's fiscal year 2020 report and the things that RIA should be on the lookout for going forward into uh, next year, 2021. Sure. So I think for a lot of people, um, 2020 has been quite the interesting year. <laughs> um, you know, we've we've dealt with a worldwide pandemic. We've dealt with uh, states shutting down, um, you know, mask mandates, um, you know, people, clients not wanting to or willing to come into the office to meet their financial advisors. So a lot of advisors have been uh, trying to pivot and be proactive and be responsive to all these different changes that are happening in their business. And sometimes that means, you know, they had to go onboard new tech. That means they had to deal with employees working from home and figuring out how to properly supervise them. Um, you know, it also came with all the market volatility and then having to be uh, responsive and communicate properly um, with clients and kind of guiding them through all the different volatility periods uh, that's, that have occurred through this year. At the same time, the SEC has had a record-setting year. So while financial advisors are scrambling and trying to uh, respond to clients and, and make changes in their business to be responsive, the SEC had a record-setting year. During a worldwide pandemic, they managed to examine 15% of all SEC registered firms. So you have to think the fiscal oh. year, um, you know, goes from October 2019 to uh, end of September 2020. So that's their fiscal year 2020. Um, they had a record-setting year. They managed half the year being remote, um, you know, to, to still set a record. They set a record in disgorgements. They set a record in fines. They set a record wow. in the number of actions. Um, they set a record in the number of uh, firms they examined. Um, they set a record with the number of whistleblower awards. Whoa. So what's a whistleblower? It's someone who provides information about um, a firm they're working with, provides them information that leads to an action being taken against the employer um, and some individuals, and they get an award uh, for doing that. So there's been a record-setting year for whistleblower actions and rewards. And yet, so for some reason, there are a lot of advisors thinking, oh, you know, SEC examiners, they're home, they're doing things remotely, they're not catching things, they're not doing as many. And I'm just like, no, 
That's completely wrong. They have fooled you. They have had a record-setting year, which means that um, this is even more evidence that the SEC is ramping up, and it continues to ramp up, and a worldwide pandemic hasn't stopped them from ramping up. So now more than ever, CEOs, CCOs, COOs need to get it together and really start looking at their businesses. They need to be doing mock audits. They need to be keeping on top of their risk reviews. They need to be conducting their annual compliance reviews and really ascertaining the aspects of their business they need to improve, implement, change, update. Um, and that's that's really what the fiscal year 2020 report has told us. They're coming. It's just a matter of whether or not you're ready. Wow. Philly, 15% last year. 15%. Yeah. Wow. So just imagine as, you know, these different vaccines hit the market, states right. start opening up, people start traveling again um, in higher numbers. You know, even if the regulators don't start hitting the road themselves again and doing these things in person, you better bet um, that for the larger broker dealers and RIAs, their compliance people are getting back on the road. They're reading this report and they're seeing it. So if you're an advisor on a hybrid platform or you're an IAR with a larger company, expect the in-person visits to come. If it's if it's not from the regulators, it's going to be from your compliance team. That segues into my next question with regards to the SEC, a, a change of leadership there. Uh, Joe Clayton mm -hmm. is, is leaving, and we've got a new uh, Biden administration coming into four. Um, what do you foresee uh, going forward in, in the next uh, 21, uh, 2021, 2022, uh, with the new uh, new leadership at the SEC, at the same time having a new uh, Biden administration coming to fore, what would that mean to the the uh, individual RIA? As what should he be uh, or he or she be aware of or be on the lookout for? Sure. So I've always said it doesn't matter who is running, like what political party controls the White House. The general trend with the SEC and with regulation in general in the advisory space is that we've seen more and more regulation. We're seeing more and more rules. Um, we're seeing more rule updates and we're seeing uh, some modernization. So I think we can continue to expect to see these things advance. We're gonna continue to see more regulation. We're gonna continue to see more guidance out of the SEC. We're gonna continue to see uh, modernization of rules. So uh, a couple rules that, that haven't gone into effect yet, but um, were subject to a comment period and could potentially be uh, finalized in the upcoming months. And those are the prohibition on testimonials. So the SEC is actually looking to um, allow those moving forward. We're seeing a modernization on Form 13F threshold. You know, it's been 100 million. They want to increase that. It hasn't been changed in over 50 years. Um, you know, so and we've also just recently saw some rule changes with expungements. And so we can continue to see that as well. FINRA continues to add more rules and modernize some of their rules. And that's a trend that's going to continue. Um, there are we're seeing this this mass movement from the FINRA brokerage space into the independent space. It's become, you know, it's it's the new sexy is is the registered investment advisory space. Uh, but because of that shift and we're seeing this movement, don't think the regulators don't see that. Don't think that that's not going to create, an, um, you know, a, a sense of urgency for them to put in place more regulation and guidance. 
Um, so I, I certainly expect that to continue. And I, I don't know that the Biden administration um, is going to um, hasten that trend um, any more that, than the Trump administration has. Um, I just expect that trend to continue. Can you give us uh, some examples of, since we're talking about compliance and the fact that there's going to be more and more people coming out of FINRA into the, uh, if you look at it this way, from the FINRA tent over to the SEC tent, and notwithstanding the fact that there's people that never been through the, the FINRA tent, so all they've been is under the SEC, SEC tent. Um, can you give us some examples of the best practices for compliance and uh, not so best practices? Sure. So um, it, within the context of transitioning between firms, we can start there because there's tons of breakaways, breakaway groups, breakaway brokers. They're moving from firm to firm. Um, so some general things to kind of be aware of, uh, you know, if you're at a protocol firm or you're moving to a protocol firm, there's certain information you're allowed to take with you. Um, if you are not from a protocol or going to a protocol firm, then you have to be very conscious of the kind of information you're taking with you. A lot of firms identify client lists, client information as proprietary or confidential within your contract. Um, and you may also be subject to a non-solicit or non-compete. So you wanna make sure that you have someone reviewing those agreements with you um, so you can better ascertain what information you're allowed to take. Because if, if you do take information, it is not unheard of for firms to file a U5 uh, terming you for cause, or if it is a voluntary resignation, uh, to mark up your U5 and say you're an, under investigation for compliance violations or for violating internal compliance policies and procedures. So be wary of that. Also realize if you're moving from the brokerage to the RIA space, there are different rules. FINRA is more robust in its regulation, um, and there are some differences, certainly. So, you know, FINRA allows some testimonials under certain circumstances. The RA space absolutely prohibits it. Um, so there's, there's certain changes that you would have to consider when you're moving from one part of the industry to the other. And certainly that's why it's so important to make sure that when you're talking about compliance, you're talking to someone who understands the differences and can really help you and guide you. And then just, in, you know, if you are starting your own RIA, you're going to be wearing all the hats. So it's a good idea, best practice, get some technology on board. There's some great companies out there. Um, our firm in particular uses Smart RIA. Um, it's a tech platform. It automates your tasks. It really kind of streamlines uh, the compliance obligation and makes it easy for you as the owner to get those tasks done. You really don't have to think about it. You see an alert, you go complete your task. When your examination comes up, you can use that tech, get your reporting, provide them evidence that you've conducted all of the, the um, proper compliance testing that you're required to do. So yeah, don't be afraid of tech. And you know, I think people get sometimes lost in the cost of tech. So it's just think about the cost savings in terms of your time. So if you bill a client, say 200 bucks an hour for your time, think of how much time you're saving that you can go do revenue, revenue generating activities by having a tax that automates this process for you and helps you get this done faster and easier. So you gotta just be a mature, responsible business owner in some cases. And yeah, contract review, big part of, of compliance. 
best practices, have contracts with your employees, whether they're an advisor or not. Make sure you're, you know, taking a look at your vendors, making sure you're looking at your vendor contracts, look at who's responsible for what. Don't think that you're going to, you know, engage a vendor and and say, oh, you were supposed to do this because they're going to point to your contract and say, no, you were. <laughs> um, so, again, you want someone who's reviewing these contracts and very clearly defining what you're responsible for and what your vendor is responsible for. So, I mean, those are some best practices, you know, whether you're FINRA, B, you know, BD transferring to the RIA space, you've always been in the RIA space. Um, or you're looking to make a jump um, as an employee from one to another, just keeping these different elements in mind. And some of the stuff I've told you already may not seem like they're compliance. They may feel, seem like legal or operations oriented, but it all comes back down to compliance because compliance is where the rules and policies and procedures sit that really govern how things happen operationally, um, how things are defended internally. So. That's why I say it's so important to spend that time, money, and energy on ensuring you have a strong compliance program. Yes, uh, that company Smart RIA sounds like a uh, would be a good uh, resource partner for uh, financialadvisors.com. I think so. They're a great company, growing quickly. You know, they're they're a great platform for us as a law firm to use, um, and our, our clients are really happy with the service they get through it. Uh, so I would certainly recommend smart RA and there are other tech platforms out there as well. There's always options and that's that's the point. There's always options to find something that that best suits you and your firm. Uh, another best practice, hire my RA lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, speak, speaking of that, that's a great segue into my next question is what other service? I know we've discussed a lot of uh, issues today or on our podcast. What other services does my RIA lawyer provide to the RIA marketplace? Sure. So I don't want people to think that we just do compliance because we don't. You know, we do a ton of arbitration and regulatory defense. So when a state or federal examiner, uh, securities commission, um, you know, gives you a deficiency letter, has fined you, has suspended your license, uh, maybe they've escalated the situation up into their enforcement division, and now you're dealing with an enforcement action. We do a ton of that work. We also do a lot of arbitrations, whether that's through FINRA, JAMS, AAA, or some other um, arbitration forum. We do a lot of work. We do a lot of intra-industry arbitration defense. We do a lot of um, arbitration defense where it, you know, the other side's a retail investor. There continues to be Ponzi schemes in the world. There continue to be alts are a big one where, uh, you know, clients are unhappy with the performance of their alt. The market volatility hasn't really helped, you know, advisors going out there and they'll sell and go to cash. And then all of a sudden the market jumps back and it's like, oh my God, I'm in the money. I'm making so much money. Where's my profit? And it's like, oh, I sold. What do you mean you sold? Well, it's like, I have discretion and the market was tanking and we're, you know, States were shutting down, so I responded. Ooh. You know, clients, they're happy with you as long as they're making money. Correct. Um, so as soon as as soon as they're not making money anymore, you know, they're levying these um, claims against you, and you need someone who can stand up for you and defend you. So we we do a lot of that kind of work. Also, succession planning is a big, big deal. And as we have, you know, a large segment of our population, the boomer segment, you know, retiring, and leaving the industry, the regulators are very concerned what's happening to all these clients. 
how how are these clients being serviced? So more and more states are starting to require a succession plan. They want to see a succession plan. They ask for a succession plan. So we can help you with a buy-sell agreement. We can help you create a plan. We can help you with a business continuity plan to make sure that something does happen to you um, that's not, you know, death, but something else or something happens within your business that you guys always have a plan on how to continue to service your clients. So, yeah, I mean, we, we do a lot of registration and compliance consulting work because people would rather have a law firm helping them in the front end and, and be more of a prophylactic against any potential issues. But we help a lot of firms that are already on the defense side and needing that support to get their way through an action. Uh, and we definitely help with that. Very good. This is this has been very in, a very informative session with regards to your services to the uh, the RAA community, especially in light of how well not only the volatile the market's been with regards to the uh, the ongoing COVID pandemic, uh, we met you mentioned the mm -hmm. fact that even in light of that, there was a, a, a big increase in the amount of uh, SCC uh, investigations and compliance audits and so forth. So it, it 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 seems that nothing stops; it just keeps on going. And you have you have to you as an RIA you have to keep ahead of that. And it would be, mm -hmm. you know, somewhat in their best interest, the RIAs, either single, um, small firm IRAs or larger IRAs, to uh, speak with a competent person like yourself whose sole um, business is the RA market. Like you said at the first part of the show, that we're not involving ourselves with other aspects of law, uh, you know, the criminal law or real estate law, anything like that. We just stick to the IRA marketplace. Yeah. And that's your niche, and that you know, that is um, sort of like comports with the advisors themselves sticking to their niche. So, how do our RA listeners or listeners to our podcast today get a hold of you to discuss your services? Uh, are you on social media, your website, or how do you uh, how do, how do people get a hold of you, uh, Layla? Sure, I like to think I'm pretty accessible. So you can always visit our website, www.myrialawyer.com. Every page on the website scrolls to the bottom and you can actually, uh, use, there's a link to set up a VIP consultation with me. That's one great way. I'm on LinkedIn. We So my personal LinkedIn page, our firm LinkedIn page, those are also points of contact. Um, you can also email let's do this at myralawyer.com um, and that'll get you to a member of our team who can set up a time uh, for us to jump on a call together and discuss whatever's going on in your business. Um, so I'd love to talk to you, love to hear what's going on with your business, love to learn ways that we can help you and support you. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I tell people, I don't say these things to scare you, but if you are scared, that means there is something that you need to address within your business. These are all things that are happening, whether or not a firm is ready whether or not a firm owner is willing to accept it. So these are the facts, do with it with, with what you will. But if you're ready for someone to come in and help you and make that change so you can get that peace of mind, we're absolutely happy, ready, and able to help. Well, that sounds like a great, uh, a, a great way to uh, end the show. And thanks very much for this information that we discussed today. And thank you very much, Layla, for your time today. Let's uh, let let's uh, wish you all the best uh, in the, in the new year 2021, and uh, that will do it for uh, Jim Eckel with the um, Financial Advisors Podcast. Uh, once again, thanks to our guest Layla Shaver with My RIA Lawyer.
Thank you again, Layla. And you have yourself a good afternoon. Okay? Thank you. All right. You too. Take care.